Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Today we have the very special privilege of having Oz Hillman, founder of Marketplace Leaders and author of so many biblically based marketplace books on our show today. Oz Hillman, welcome back to I Work For Him. Jim, good to be back with you. Always love being with you. Well, I appreciate that. It's it's been such it's been a lot of fun becoming friends over the last couple of years, and, and I love the fact that we're finally going to share some radio airwaves. I love that. That's super exciting as we help spread the message that our workplaces are so important to our heavenly Father that we need to bring our faith there and let it impact our workplaces. So talk about, just before we get into our conversation today, Oz, what I love to ask my guests each and every day is just tell me how Christ is making an impact in your life today. How is he making an impact and how you, and whatever's going on in your life today? Well, I'm celebrating 40 years since I accepted Christ in my life, and it's been a a journey that has just never looked back. I've never had a time where I... uh, you know, fell away from the Lord or was not passionate about Him. And it's amazing to me that it's fresh every day. And and, uh, I I just uh, look so forward to the when I wake up at 5 in the morning every morning and spend two or three hours in the Word of God and just uh, love reading. And, and, you know, God has just uh, given me a hunger to learn and also to share that with others. And so I think that uh, I'm always looking for 
new nuggets. It seems like the the more you learn about uh, the Lord and His Word, the more you you realize how much you don't know. <laughs> and so it's very humbling to realize that. And so I, I think uh, He just continues to teach me and to show me who He is and the the nature of His His grace and love in our lives. And isn't it amazing, though? You've been following the Lord for 40 years. You're studying fervently, and I don't get up at 5. I get up at 6. But to spend that time in the morning with the Lord, but to still realize after 40 years how much you don't know. I mean, how—it just seems ridiculous. I mean, I remember when I gave my life to Christ on July the 13th, 1979, and I figured, well, I got a few things I need to work on, but I'm pretty good. (laughs) 36 years later, I'm like, wow. I just have so much more to learn. It's so humbling that, you know, obviously we're never going to get there until we die someday. But it is, uh, it's so funny. I mean, do you ever get to that point where you're like, wow, I thought I'd, I thought I'd know more by now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, I was just thinking before the call how fortunate I am. I'm 63 years old this past month. And uh, I have two mentors who are spiritual mentors to me who are really spiritual fathers. One of them's 80. The other one's 79, and I speak speak to them regularly, one of them almost every other day. He's so close to me. And uh, so I continue to learn from them. That's good. And and that's really, that's not our topic for today, but that's such a great point, and I want to make sure we emphasize it. Every one of us, regardless of where we are, in our walk with Christ, we all need a mentor. We need somebody who's been who's further along in the faith, because you just I don't know. It just seems like you learn you learn stuff on your own, but when you have a mentor, it seems like it smacks you upside the head faster. And I, and I love that. Yeah, we always need somebody to give us a, a different perspective, or even be our cheerleader, if you will. That you know, we got to have people in our life that can bring us up when we're down, and to give perspective to life and uh, even give perspective to where we are in our journey. I wanted to make sure people know all about your daily devotional that goes out. Today, God is first, because that's really what connected me to you back in the mid-2000s, 2006. Somebody forwarded me one of your daily devotionals, and it was the first time I'd ever heard, wow, my faith should be connected to everything I'm doing every day, and it's not. Wow. I had no idea. I'd never heard a sermon on it. Talk about your daily devotionals and how somebody can sign up. You got about a minute. Yeah, well, I started writing that back in late 90s, and uh, just uh, God was showing me things about himself during a season of adversity, about, you know, how to make sense of my adversity, how to integrate my faith life into my work life. And so it's a free daily email. It takes about four minutes to read it every day. It goes to 104 nations, over 130,000 people read it daily, and they can sign up at todaygodisfirst.com. That's todaygodisfirst.com. It's free. That's fantastic. And, and that really, your devotional introduced me to a part of my of, of Christ's lordship in my life that I never understood. And it has changed, obviously, because of your influence on my life. And you didn't know me. I was one of those 130,000. Because of that influence on my life, we got a radio program reaching thousands of people each and every day, which is, so it's, it's just so it's an encouragement to you to recognize, wow, my feeding people four minutes a day is making an impact that gets repeated and repeated. 50% of my downloads, Oz, are in communist countries every month. Mm. 
It's and, and so it's and it's all because of you being faithful. So I want to thank you on behalf of the audience because, ladies and gentlemen, those of you listening today, Oz Hillman's been my spiritual mentor. He just didn't know it, and it was fantastic. I picked out a verse from James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of all various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm waiting for the perfect and complete stuff, Oz. I I, I don't know about you. (laughs) When you look at yourself, do you see perfect and complete? Well, only in the spiritual dimension. <laughs> <laughs> good answer. I like that answer. That's a good one. You know, and that's I love that. But really, to count it all joys, that wasn't always so easy. But I learned so much about adversity from this book that I got of yours. I again was in the mid two thousands. You you mentioned it in one of your devotionals. I'm like, I got to get that book. Probably two thousand eight after the market crash. That's when I got it. So, what caused you to write this book? Why did you write the upside of adversity? Well, every book I write is pretty much a reflection of my own journey, my own experiences, and this was one of those where I went through a season of great adversity from 1994 to 2001, and it was a season where I'd lost uh, you know, my wealth, I'd lost uh, my wife had left me, I lost 80% of my business, I had a vice president you know, take my second largest account from the ad agency that I owned. And it really thrust me into a season of extraordinary questioning, uh, you know, shame, failure, all trying to understand as a, a follower of Christ who was committed to the Lord and was giving money to the Lord, was trying to be a good, you know, solid Christian, realized that there were some things there that I didn't know were there that I realized uh, contributed to that, but it wasn't just those things, and it was uh, also part of a call. Just like Joseph, you know, his adversities really weren't because of uh, his sin as much as a greater call that God had on his life. And for some people, they will experience adversity for that reason. Well, I love what you just said. Sometimes adversity is because of a greater call on somebody's life. And, and you mentioned Joseph. I, just because that that's such a, you know, the, the what I have learned from you, and now a lot of other pastors are talking about the Joseph calling, the Joseph experience, the uh, that 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 desert experience. It, it's be, I understand it now, having gone through one. Mine wasn't near as bad as yours. I didn't lose near as much money as you, but it is. It is amazing how God pulls us through those adversity times in order to shape us from who we are to who he plans on using. Well, I think that many times the depth and width of our adversity often determines the level of influence and call God has in our life. I think sometimes the adversities we go through are, in fact, a reason. Uh, there's a reason for those that can uh, be a result of maybe some generational strongholds that are uh, are in our life. But when my mentor, who really coached me through that season and and was really uh, responsible for helping me understand the Joseph calling, he said, "Oz, you know, you probably have made some mistakes, but you need to realize that the call is bigger than your mistakes." And so I realized that God was certainly putting his finger on some things in my character and things. But uh, beyond that, it was a a call to the marketplace that I didn't see at the time and 
can look back now and say, oh, there was a clear path to what I'm doing now. And I could have never imagined here was a guy who had never been out of the country, and now I've been to 25 countries, and the devotional is 100, in 104 nations, and here's a guy that barely got out of English class writing 15 books. <laughs> well, and, and you've inspired your daughter to be a writer, and she's doing a daily devotional. I mean, it's, it's, and you've inspired hundreds of thousands of people every day for, you know, when, when did your devotionals first start come out, you say? I wrote them in 1998-99, and it came out of the book in 2000. In 2000. So for 15 years, I, mean, I, I imagine the numbers of people that have been impacted is in the millions and millions of people, not only in the direct impact, but in the impact of people's workplaces that, that are their eyes are opened. It, it, it's an incredible thing. So what you're saying is that sometimes people are called to extraordinary adversity because of the depth of the call that they're going to receive after having been shaped by that adversity. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you look at Paul, you see the incredible influence he had. But Jesus, when he called him and says, you will suffer many things uh, for my sake. And so he was giving him a pre-warning that, you know, with co- with this level of call comes great adversity. And we see that in the life of, of Joseph and all the disciples. And uh, so, so many that God uses, you know, there's adversity that comes with that. And uh, so it's just part of that. And, of course, Jesus, you know, describes his own journey. He, you know, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. You know, but we, it, I do think it's helpful to try to discern why we're going through adversity because the devil also can cause adversity. It says in John ten ten that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. So not all adversity comes from God. Some of it comes from the enemy. But isn't it true, though, that even though some of that adversity comes from the enemy, and look in Job's life, I mean, the adversity in his life was caused by the enemy with God's permission, that God never wastes an experience in our lives, though, whether it was brought on by the enemy or brought on by him because he's trying to shape us. In my life, I have found whether I brought it on myself through the sin in my own life or whether God brought it on to shape me, that God never wastes an experience. He always seems to use whatever we've gone through. Well, he always has the last word if we will participate with him in the grace factor where he says all things work together for good. And so no matter what the enemy, you know, the the enemy thought that, you know, he had killed Jesus, but Jesus uh, had something else up his sleeve and the resurrection. And so we see that consistently in the Gospels where God has always got the upper hand if we will turn to him and allow him to work through the process. Yeah, I, I, I love what you just said, because the enemy thought he had the upper hand in getting Jesus killed. But God had kept his plan somewhat secretive, and, and Satan was so blinded by his passion for eliminating the Son of God, he, he missed the fact that it was God, and that God could do anything, and that uh, it was it's just fascinating, because it's like God... I always am amazed by the fact that if Satan had found out what God's plan was, he would have said, no, 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 you can't kill Jesus. That'll screw up the whole deal. <laughs> so yeah. so God kind of kept that secret. Why do you think it is, or let me just ask the question differently. Is it always necessary for us to go through adversity in order for us to prepare so that we could fulfill our calling, fulfill our destiny? I mean, is adversity always necessary? 
No, I don't think it's always necessary, and I think there are different levels of adversity. I think to some degree we will all, as believers, have some level of adversity, but I think that the level of adversity has a lot more to do with how God's going to use us, the message he needs to speak through our life, and the experiences that we need to have in order to frame us and also create the authority for us to be able to speak into the lives of others. I think that I have an authority to speak in certain types of people's lives in the marketplace that no other person has because I've gone through the experience and I've had I've successfully gone through it with God, and now I'm able to share it, speak it, and impart it to others. And that is that is so true. I mean, it, it, that God, if He wants you to have a platform, He'll create the platform. And in your life and in my life, He created adversity in order to shape you so that you could handle the high calling without it going to your head. And I think that's that's one of those things. When I said to the Lord on November twentieth, two thousand twelve, I said, "Lord, I can see how I can help four or five Christian business people, but how can I help? How can I get the message out to thousands? How can you challenge thousands of people at a time?" Well, apparently, yeah, I think it'd be important, though, to say that God doesn't cause calamity just to create a testimony. He creates a testimony after the calamity. So there's a fine distinction there between those two concepts. I think that sometimes when you hear people give a testimony, they say, oh, you know, God did this or that, you know, uh, in order to allow me to have this testimony. And, you know, my answer to that is you'd have to accuse God of child abuse if if that were true i mean because god is a loving god i don't think god really wants his children to go through adversity but we often do because we live in a fallen world we Mm -hmm. we get into situations that can cause adversity and uh yet um he can reprove us it says in hebrews that as a child we're going to be reproved but there's a little bit different in maybe how some of the experiences we have so there's about three or four th- reasons I think people can go through adversity. But the important thing is no matter what reason you go through it, is always turn to him and ask him to redeem whatever has taken place in your life. I love the way you just said it. Three or four different reasons that, that, that we have adversity in our lives. Like you said, it is what, what I have just seen in my own life is that God never wastes one of those experiences. Sometimes I brought the adversity on myself just from my own poor decisions. And, and sometimes I, I, I love the shaping. I, I've learned to embrace adversity based on your advice in, in your book. As I read your book, I was like, wow, okay. I, I know you didn't embrace it at first, but you today are living a life embracing adversity. So let's talk about your book. I want to I do our book highlight segment now so we can give away a copy of your book. Our book highlight segment is brought to you by Karis Christian Books and Gifts. Karis Christian Books and Gifts have been a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Indian Rocks in Largo for 30 years, and they're open to the public every day of the week. They've got a huge selection of books, Bibles, music, DVDs, and a lot of gifts that can help inspire your walk with Christ and help share Christ. Karis Christian Books and Gifts, find them online at shopkaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S.com. The book today is The Upside of Adversity by our guest, Oz Hillman. Oz, why don't you give it just a 20-second on the summary on this book? Well, I wrote this book as a result of going through the seven years of adversity where I lost finances, family. I didn't lose my health, but uh, I lost, almost lost my business. It kind of got down to almost nothing. But uh, as a result of that, I learned so many things through that experience. Seven years to the, to the month 
my finances had gotten restored. And in the midst of the adversity, God birthed what I'm doing today. And uh, the devotional got birthed out of that time. And so it's a real uh, book about what I learned through that adversity and how to navigate your own adversity. You know, I talk about things like the black hole in the uh, book, you know, where it's a particular season when I see these Josephs going through their own journeys, they all have this season where nothing works. You know, they can't punch their way out of a paper bag. And it seems to be that that's part of the process in the front end of, of this Joseph calling. And that's what I talk about in the book. What is a Joseph calling? What is the earmark of someone who has a Joseph calling? Because not everybody has that. You mentioned the black hole experience. How do you know if you're in a black hole experience? Well, that's pretty easy. <laughs> Everything you touch turns to mud, <laughs> and you can't do anything. You can't get a job. You can't, you know, you, you, you've lost control of your finances. It seems like, you know, nothing you do works out. You know, you can't pay your bills. It just is a season where it's a season of nothing. And I'll never forget that season that I was in for a couple of years, and it just didn't matter what I did. Nothing was going to work out. And that didn't last forever, but it was a particular season. And so with all the people I interview and meet with over the, really in the world, I uh, almost every one of them had that particular season. And so I just call it the black hole experience. That's a, that's a great way to describe it. And when people, what we know about black holes today is, yeah, there's no way you get out of it. Once you're in, you no way you can get out of it. All it would take is a miracle of God to get it out of it. The the real focus of what when I walked away from reading your book the first time was just the Joseph, the Joseph experience, the Joseph calling on your life. Which you know, when we look at the life of Joseph, I mean, Joseph was a teenager, and his brothers sold him into slavery, and then he gets accused of rape and gets thrown into prison. Life is looking pretty bleak for Joseph, and he, and, he, and he goes through all of this adversity in his life, and he gets taken out of prison to become second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And that's Well, Joseph, Joseph had a vision. You know, God, it was a legitimate vision. Right. Uh, he didn't share it appropriately as a teenager, but certainly the, the consequence was not commensurate with the infraction for Joseph because, uh, you know, thir- uh, basically— you know, what, 17 years of adversity he would go through. He was probably, or maybe 13 years. He's probably 16 or 17, I guess. And uh, But it would be a whole process of refining Joseph, removing all pride out of his life, and allowing that vision to be purified. And so often there's a death of a vision whenever God plants something in our heart. We have a vision that is going to come out this way, and yet it doesn't. And the whole the whole Christian life is is almost like an oxymoron. You know, we we die to live, we give to receive, we love our enemies. You know, and so sometimes the death of a vision has to take place before the true vision comes about. I thought I was called to do to um, publish a magazine, and that magazine had to die before I realized it was this little devotional that became the the tip of the spear for all that we do. So when you look at the four tests, I know in your book you highlight four tests that Joseph had to to pass in order to fulfill his destiny. Can we go through those tests? Yeah, the first one was um, forgiveness, you know, being able to forgive his brothers. 
You know, he had uh, was placed in a situation where you know, after he got restored, would he pay them back? You know, and we know that he didn't pay them back and uh, he tested their hearts, but he didn't pay them back. In fact, he didn't pay anybody back. Each person that was a source of pain in his life, he forgave them. Then he had a sexual test and he passed that test by fleeing. You know, and then that's what really men have to do, uh, and women. You have to flee that sexual temptation. You can't play with it. And that's what he did. And yet he had to pay the price as if he did commit that sin, which is being wrongfully accused of something. And then the perseverance test where he stayed the course. He didn't, you know, commit suicide. He didn't give up. Uh, he probably had come at peace with himself in where he was, but he used his gifts even in prison, and I think that's a very important point, that whenever we're taken into this place, we still need to use the gifts and things that God has deposited in our life in whatever circumstance he puts us there. And then the final one is uh, stewardship. Uh, He would be a steward over the resources of Egypt, and he wouldn't use it just on himself. And so those are the four tests. I got five in there, but okay, I, I, four. Or five. <laughs> but but I, what I love about this is that it all starts with forgiveness, and I think that then in most of our most Christ followers' lives, they don't realize the power of forgiveness. And what they really don't realize is the power that bitterness and unforgiveness has over them, and, and how it really prevents you from going places because of all the garbage that's inside. Well, I like to say that's the graduate level test for a leader. If you're going to be like Jesus and if he will entrust you with something, he's going to allow you to see if you're willing to pass that test, which means Jesus didn't just say forgive your enemies. He said love your enemies. (laughs) Wow. You know, and by the way, if you don't do that, I'll not forgive you. Wow. Three pretty big ones right there in the character building process of being a leader for Jesus. And it, and what's amazing is you mentioned, so the first test being forgiveness, the second test being the sexual test, and how many great leaders are really destroyed by not fleeing from sexual immorality. And then it's going through the, the wrongfully, being wrongfully accused. Joseph was wrongfully accused. A lot of times you get wrongfully accused for things, and and that makes forgiving people even harder. But I love the perseverance thing because really, to me, I've turned that into learning to be content no matter where you're at, regardless of what it is that perseverance being at peace with where God has you, which is what Joseph did. Well, it was a, a very uh, disappointing circumstance where he interpreted the, the dream of the cupbearer, and he said, Now remember me, for I have done nothing to deserve being in this prison. And uh, so what we see in that statement is there was a little bit of uh, pride that was left in Joseph, even though everything he said was true. Uh, there was an aspect that we see, I think God maybe left him there a couple more years to work that out. As as we talk about the adversity that you went through in your own life personally, you, you mentioned the tests that are, are the tests that Joseph had to go through to fulfill his destiny, forgiveness, the sexual test, perseverance from being wrongfully accused, and then stewardship. In your own life, you've experienced a tremendous amount of adversity. First of all, did you only face adversity one time, or has God used it more than once in your life? No, I've had a number of things happen. Not only did I have that situation uh, in those seven years, but I had 
another major adversity after that, which I can attribute clearly to uh, John 10, 10, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy from your life. And I think that's another lesson for all of us. Whenever you start having impact, uh, you know, against the kingdom of darkness, the enemy doesn't like that. You know, I think uh, I like to say I've got a poster in hell with my name on it, and uh, they know who I am in hell. And uh, I, But I want them to know who I am, and I want them to get scared every time my feet hit the floor in the morning. And I pray that uh, that would be the case for all believers, because we are losing the battle in our own nation uh, for uh, what what is great in our nation. And so we need uh, men and women to stand in the gap for our culture right now. That's for sure. So when you look at I mean, really, because in China, where, where the adversity is heavy against, really persecution, it's heavy against Christians in China and other places around the world, it, it, Christianity is growing, it's blossoming. In, in our country, where the adversity was removed for so many years because we were a Christian nation, people got very lackadaisical in the faith, and we, we frankly, we lost the first culture war. We lost it. But because of guys like you and ministries like Marketplace Leaders, we're taking that culture battle to the workplace where we can be successful because we're just going to bring Jesus with us each and every day to the workplace. And that's how we make an impact. That's how we win the culture, not by judging people, but by loving people. I think it's fantastic. Well, I think uh, I, was, I was writing an article recently about, you know, where is leadership coming in the, in the world today? It's not coming out of Washington. It's not even coming out of our churches. It's coming from the marketplace. If you look at where some of the cultural issues have cropped up in the last few years— who responded? You look at three Christians in business. You look at Hobby Lobby. You look at Chick-fil-A. You look at um, the Robertsons on uh, uh, the uh, A&E show. They all stood their ground. And as a result of that, actually, God blessed the work that they did. And so I think God's looking for courageous leaders today to step into this gap. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty says, he looked for a man or woman who would stand at the wall in order that he might not destroy the land. And a lot of people refer to that as a prayer, but I think it means more than that. I think it means being people of God to be his representatives in the marketplace, to be able to be salt and light in this time. And it is salt and light, salt and light. And that people just to understand that concept, we could have a whole show about being salt and light. We don't have time for that today. I want people just to hear from your heart on the things specifically you think others can learn from the adversity you experienced in your life. What are some things you think people can directly draw from your experience? Well, I think the biggest thing we can learn is that just because you go through adversity and you may have failed, you might have even had a moral failure. Um, God is not done with you. You know, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins, First John 1, 9. And so, you know, failure is often just a stepping stone, stepping stone to success. And no matter how bad we fail, what we need to do is realize that God is an unconditional father who loves you, and he doesn't have all of this stuff over here checking off to see if you do this or that. He is a loving father that loves you unconditionally. And I find that so many people have a difficult 
you know, I uh, grasp of the deep love of the Father. It says in Zephaniah 3.17 that when he thinks of you, he sings about you. Uh, I often say, you know, when God sees you, he delights in his heart. And uh, we need to understand that's the nature of God the Father toward us, even when we fail. That doesn't mean we can go about sinning just to sin, but when we do, he is faithful and just to forgive us because of Jesus, because Jesus paid the price for that. Wow, I love the way you said that. That's so, I I love just that, you know, our failure can lead to success, especially when the Lord gets in front of our success and we allow him to use what we've gotten experienced, but the forgiveness from our unconditionally loving Father. Love that. So the book is called Upside of Adversity. So what's the upside of adversity? Well, the upside is that God uses you. He can restore you in ways that you never thought possible. He can allow you to live the larger story of your life. You see, many people live the smaller stories of their life, and it takes an adversity to usher them into the larger story of their life. And almost every character that you see that God has used significantly the door to that larger story was some form of adversity. You look at Martin Luther, who struggled with the idea of what what is salvation? How do you live by faith? You know, it, it led him into a crisis that he almost died over. You look at Martin Luther King, thrust into the civil rights movement. Uh, you look at uh, uh, John Bunyan, who was thrown in prison for 12 years, wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Peter, you know, thrust into an assignment to be, you know, the 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 rock, the founder, uh, you know, the foundation of the church uh, to represent Christ. And so you, you just think about every major leader, uh, they all had some type of, uh, uh, you know, situation or adversity that ushered them into their larger story. I love I love your restoration comment, and that's something that a lot of Christians don't understand is that Jesus came to redeem us and then to restore us. And that process takes some time, and obviously I believe it takes a lifetime, but he can restore anything, and, it, and it's so amazing. Go ahead. Well, there's no, no victory in death alone. You know, the victory comes when there's a resurrection. And uh, I think that's Romans 6, 4, that we died with him, but we also are raised with him. And so, you know, God doesn't get the glory in the death alone. He gets the glory in the resurrection. Amen to that. You've got some really cool stuff going on in your ministry. One of them is the Change Agent Network, which I want to talk about that really quick, but I really want to talk about your starting your own radio show, which I love that. Talk, talk about what's going on in the radio world for you. Well, we're starting a radio show called Faith, Work, and Culture, And uh, we have four programs already produced on our website. They can go to faithworkandculture.com to listen to those. And what we're doing in there is is, uh, addressing cultural issues, uh, helping people understand how to integrate their faith life and their work life, just like what you're doing here. And uh, so that's one of the things. Uh, So faith, work, and culture com is where they can uh, listen to those. And then we have uh, something called the Change Agent Network, where we are equipping men and women uh, through a tr- an online training program. In fact, this month, we're running a special 
uh, opportunity to try out the Change Agent Network for 30 days free. It's normally $47 a month. But all of our training, our 20-part Change Agent video course is there, a course on hearing God, a course on the seven cultural mountains, a course on the Father's love. I mean, it's a comprehensive uh, equipping um, website and social site. And that's becomeachangeagent.com. They can check that out there. Becomeachangeagent.com. So talk to me. Where do you think the radio show is going to go? You've recorded some stuff. You've got them on your website. Are you are you working on a, on a radio, a local radio show deal? Are you looking working on a national deal? I mean, give us a little spoiler here on I Work For Him. Where can yeah, we expect to hear a, you? A, it's, we're looking at a national program and international because we want to do Internet radio as well, just as you're – serving people in the Soviet Union. We want to reach in those 104 nations where the devotional is going out. So we'll be able to get people to listen through our, our, you know, our um, app, you know, we, that we can upload it and then through the website and through local markets. And uh, so we hope to launch regular uh, airing in the fall, but right now we've done two, four initial shows that people can listen to it. Just give them a little teaser. I like that. I like that. You know, Oz, you've you've experienced so much ministry uh, since you you started the process of going through that adversity in 1994. You've seen so much. You've seen our our culture do so many things, but you've also seen you know when you when God started moving in your life to get involved in workplace ministry, marketplace ministry, you from where you saw 21 years ago to where it is today, are you amazed at how God has risen up so many organizations with the focus of discipling Christ followers in the workplace? Well, it's both good news and bad news. The good news is that, yes, we have seen uh, many people come into the understanding that their work is a ministry, and uh, that's very important that people get that message. But we have so much work to do. Mm. And we know that um, we're losing ground right now instead of gaining it uh, by the condition of our culture. And that's why this message is so important to get out there. Uh, It's important to have radio shows like yours that help people understand the need for uh, really manifesting God in in the area of our calling, our workplace. And it's important for our churches to equip our men and women in the pew there to see their work as a ministry, that they're not there just to fulfill the ministry of the four walls of the local church, but they have a ministry themselves in their workplace to impact their workplaces, city and nation. Just giving a word of encouragement to those people that are sitting in the pews each and every Sunday wondering, how can I get my pastor to equip me more completely, more effectively to go into my workplace and be Jesus to those people who need to meet Jesus? Well, I wrote a book for pastors several years ago called Faith at Work, What Every Pastor and Church Leader Should Know. It's on our bookstore, and uh, I encourage uh, those who want to encourage their church leadership, read the book themselves first and then give it as a gift to their church leadership. And uh, perhaps you can follow up and have a cup of coffee with them and, and share with them about the importance of every member being a minister uh, in the marketplace. Have you had good luck with conversations like that? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Okay. I have struggled with conversations like that, which is why I asked you the question. I'm surprised at your answer. I have struggled with that, but that's, so that's encouraging. So they can get a copy of your book, Faith at Work, What Every Church and Pastor Should Know. You you know the title. I didn't get it written down fast enough. I've read the book. Okay. So they can get that on your website, marketplaceleaders.org, correct? Right. Yeah. Just uh, click on the bookstore. Very good. Oz, I want to thank you for coming on to I Work For Him again. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for inspiring my life, for being used by Christ to impact my life and all of those listening and the 130,000, which leads to millions of people around the world. Thank you so much for being a servant of Christ. Thank you, Jim. Enjoyed our time. Hey, what'd you learn today about your faith so we can take this city for Christ? What'd you learn? You know, we learned today that God sometimes uses adversity in our lives just to shape us so that he can take us from who we are to who he can use. And that the level of our the adversity in our lives sometimes can be directly correlated to the depth and the power of the calling that we we're going to have placed on our lives. So don't, don't complain about the adversity. Embrace in the adversity. And I recommend you get Oz Hillman's book that we talked about today, Upside of Adversity. What a fantastic really guidebook on how to handle adversity in your life. Really, also read the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Hey, I'm, I'm asking you to make a commitment to join the I Work For Him Nation, to start praying for your coworkers and employees each and every day, to look for ways to serve them, to befriend them, to look for ways to pray with them. Take the challenge. Go out to iWorkForHim.com right now and click on the I Work For Him Nation flag. Join me in praying for the people that you, co- that you work with each and every day. Pray for them by name. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business. But ultimately, ultimately, I work for him. Yeah.